Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey, listeners. And this is uh, episode number one. The thing that we kind of wanted to talk about this this time around was uh, looked at this article that I had come across posted by The Oregonian. So the, the title is Kate Brown and Phil Knight Reconnect After He Spent Millions to Unseat Her. Uh, Nick probably can tell you more about this than I can, but Phil Knight spent about a million and a half dollars. It right? was a, it was a lot. And then yeah. he also, he funded, I think, another million or so through the RGA Got that it. went right back in a news campaign. Yeah. So he, he spent a lot of money to on Kate's opponent in the last gubernatorial race. So now there's this article that they have scheduled a meeting to talk about who knows what. What really kind of struck me was not the content of the article, but the fact that this is an article. The Oregonian felt it was newsworthy to say that two grown adults uh, had a disagreement and now they are meeting again. <laughs> and, it, and not even like two diametrically opposed to right. that, because Phil's donated to, to Democrats before, I think even to Kate's reelection campaign in, I don't know, 2014 or mm-hmm. something like So they're... Of similar-ish beliefs, or Phil's at least of similar enough beliefs that he was willing to contribute before, yeah. he just happened to back a different horse this time around, and now it's, like you say, we're here we are reading about it on the Oregonian, it's like, whoa, this is this is crazy. Crazy, yeah. It's just, I think, we've gotten so politicized and po- so polarized as a society that we've kind of got this idea of us versus them. If I win, you lose. If you win, I lose. Zero-sum um, any gain, any ground gained by the opposing side is a, is a lost ground by our side. Rather than you know, rather than trying to find middle ground, we try to try to fight. And this is this is I think propagated by, I mean, a the parties because it helps them stay in power, but b by just well, helps of, one of them stay in power, not so much with another one. Here. <laughs> that's, that's that's fair. But I think you mentioned the other day when we were talking about this uh, is the kind of the twenty four hour news cycle. You've got your Fox News that's catering to Republicans, and you've got your MSNBC that's catering to Democrats, and it just kind of creates this echo chamber of us, 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 and the bad guys. We're trying to save the country, and they're trying to destroy it. And oh, yeah, it, it always seems like it ends up that way. And I like I joke around when I'm playing volleyball with my friends, and I say, "Oh, you know, the bad guys just got a point or whatever," you mm-hmm. know, referring to the other team. And it's like, all right, that's fine when you're playing volleyball with your friends, but this is. Public policy, at the right. end of the day, is not a zero-sum game. Right? Both yeah. parties want more jobs with higher wages. Both parties want fewer homeless people on the streets, better roads that you're able to feel safe driving on. All you know, exactly. People are working towards the same end. You have different ways of going about it. But like you say, you had Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan in the 80s. You had Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton in the 90s. And now... Yeah. Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi would, uh, it's just like, oh boy, can you imagine what it would be like to be a fly on the wall when the two of them are having a conversation? Oh like, that'd just be awful. Oh my gosh. So there's a, I forget the name of it, I should have looked this up before the podcast, but uh, there's, they have a dinner at the very end of a presidential election where the candidates go out and roast each other. Do you, are you familiar with this? Yeah, the, the Al Smith dinner. Usually, yeah. It, it usually happens a couple months before the election, and sure. it, it raises money for Catholic charities in New York. Okay. But they both have, they have just some really funny jokes, and they come out with, and you know, you're, you're ribbing each other, you're ribbing yourself, or whatever. But it's like, oh, you really can do this in, in good fun. And, and, and that's the whole point is, hey, you know, we're, we're opponents, we're fighting tooth and nail, we're going to smear each other, but at the end of the day... You know, we can come together for a good cause and something that is positive for the world um, and not just tooth and nail fighting at each other. Exactly. Yeah. You pause the vitriol for just 
even just one night, and it, yeah. it just feels just so refreshing to go and watch the speeches and watch the highlights from that. And it's like, look at the, they're actually being humans. Like, what a novel concept from our leaders, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that this kind of mentality is, is a new thing. And well, we talked about this a minute ago, but, um, I, I don't think that normal everyday people really feel this way. This is kind of the, the line that we've been fed by the media, by, by just our culture is that this is zero sum. But uh, I, I told you the other day this, uh, an example of mine, I sit on the board of my HOA and we made a uh, controversial, let's call it, decision that is going to cost people money. And we had a town hall meeting to discuss it. We had our lawyer present. It was, it was not a good situation. So we had 30 residents all yelling. I don't think we got to the point of calling names, but uh, it wasn't really a fun. They probably called you names. They definitely called us <laughs> yeah, behind the back, but, but we were there people threatening to sue. Anyway, hour and a half of disagreeing and looking at the minutia of the, the documents and the law. And then when it was all over, we all stood up and we all shook hands and Hey, still friends. And they all, they actually thanked us a lot of it for, for doing what we do because we're all volunteers. So we said, Hey, thanks for, for running this. Um, you know, we disagree. We're trying to you know look out for our interests, but we do appreciate what you guys do. And I think that that, I think there's a lot of people who feel that way, but there's no one talking about it. There's no narrative of the, the people who can disagree and still be friends afterwards. So that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is to bring some of those people together and realize that we can disagree and, be, and at the end of the day, we can still be friends. We can still find common ground. It doesn't need to be us versus them. I disagree. I think it does need to be us. <laughs> what are you doing here? Get out of here. All right. I need a new, I need another co-host. Need a new host. All right. Anybody want to, but no, it's, it, it really is. And you see that. And you're every day. I mean, I'm married to a Democrat. I'm mm-hmm. a Republican. My, my brother is a Democrat and my father's a Republican. And they'll, you know, they'll send texts to each other and get in spats and whatever. I do trivia on Tuesday nights with, I, I guess mm-hmm. you don't call them Hill staff, but people who work for state senators and state reps here in Salem. And one's a Democrat, one's a Republican. And, you know, you, we all bring our friends along. And it's just like, hey, it is what it is. Like business has been as business and that landed at five o'clock and whatever. And now it, we're just, we're here trying to think of the last, whatever year, the first Captain America movie came out because it grossed a billion dollars, something like that, whatever yeah. trivia question it is. Yeah. And it's, it, it is sad that it's a novel concept to disagree without being disagreeable anymore. Yeah. You know, living in Multnomah County in Oregon, in the, the bluest county in the bluest state, maybe the bluest state, but one of the bluest We're states. up there, man. We're up yeah. There. We're up there. Um, if I didn't have Democrat friends, I wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> uh I, you know, I had a group of people from work that I used to hang out with pretty regularly and several of them moved away. So the group has has fallen apart a little bit, but they were all Democrats. And I used to love getting into political debates with them because we could have these sort of not quite heated, but passionate arguments. And at the end of the day, we're still friends. And honestly, we, I think we sharpened each other and it was, it was beneficial to, you know, have your have your views challenged by someone who respects you as a human and is not just some invisible face on the internet that just want to make you feel bad. I, I had a, I still have a very good friend and she put something up on a friend who leans to the left. She put something up on raising the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And it's, I you know as a conservative, I was like, oh, well, let's talk about this a little bit. And she ended up making a point that I, she ended up saying something like the, you know, the majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 
And I said, well, you know, that there's no way that that's true. And she said, no, actually it is. And you know, there's an article and I was just like, wow, look at like, I learned something today. And it, my, you know, my instinct wasn't to retreat from the facts that was presented. My instinct wasn't to, to call out the, the article for being fake or any, you know, anything like that misleading. It's like, Oh, that's, I had this perception that I was wrong about. You know, this isn't like a, a high five Nick moment. Look at me for reevaluating myself. I still would oppose a hike in the middle sure. of the voyage. It didn't just, like change my fundamental belief about the heart of the argument, but it was, had I not engaged in that conversation with her, I wouldn't have learned something on that day. Yeah. And it's like, to your, to your point, James, that's, you definitely, when you have friends who lean to the other side and you're not just sitting around with a bunch of people who just hang out and agree with each other all the mm-hmm. time, you'll learn new things and you think about things in a different way. And there's a value to that. Yeah. Uh, interesting that you brought up people losing paycheck, paycheck. That was one of the comments that came from this, uh, this shutdown discussion was federal workers going to the food bank and federal, federal workers, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And some people on the right questioning why that was. And, but I think that that's, that's a, a symptom of being stuck in your own echo chamber is thinking that, Oh, everyone's like me. Why are people going to the food bank and just like totally not realizing that, you know, some people live paycheck to paycheck. So anyway, a little off topic, but well, and it's, I mean, that, that kind of has been the topic for the last month. And I, yesterday, we're recording this on Saturday, the 26th, 5th, 6th. Yeah, 6th. That's, I, I know days. I'm smart. <laughs> it's Saturday. That's for sure. It's, yeah, exactly. It is Saturday. And uh, yeah, there you go. And it's, and for, I think the 38 day shutdown or whatever it was, that was, that was definitely the topic du jour. Now I, yesterday, the president made an announcement that they've, you know, figured out a bill to end the shutdown and went through the house, went through the Senate. He signed it. The, yeah. the shutdown is currently in its pause for, yeah. for lack of a better term with James had, you know, full credit where credit's due. James had <laughs> came up with that term, not me. I'm, I'm smart enough to know the date, but I'm not smart enough to come up with terms like pause. But we're, we're now in this three week period where hopefully everybody gets back to the table. Hopefully all those workers get their paychecks and get their back pay. So then, you know, maybe they don't have to run into the same problem again in three weeks. But, well, you know, we were all set to talk about shutdown on this podcast. Now they open the government back up and Donald Trump knew what we're up to one of the screw over our podcast a little bit there. That guy. But it's just like, honest to God, James, give me, give me odds here. What do you think the chances are of something getting worked out long term? Between now and February 15th. <laughs> um, we'll call up our bookies and make it happen. <laughs> honestly, not good. I don't think either side has a, an interest in backing down. Um, it's all over this wall. That's that's kind of the, the crux of the argument. And Trump caved is now trending on Twitter. So, like, he will lose... Trump will lose political capital if he gives in on the wall. And Democrats will lose a lot more political capital if they let him go through with it. And there's really no incentive for either side. The Democrats are blaming Trump, and so they, and the Republicans are blaming the Democrats, and so there's really no incentive at all. And we were just talking about this before the podcast. The worst thing about this wall is that it's not even going to do anything. The majority of illegal immigrants have come through the border legally and then just overstayed their, their visa. The majority of drugs come through legal ports of entry. The people coming across the desert are it's not as big of a problem as being made out to be. The other thing is that all the, all that a wall will actually do is slow people down by maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. And so that's going to work if you have a population center where you have people nearby, but in the middle of the desert where your nearest border checkpoint is, you know, a six hour drive away, 
slowing somebody down for 20 minutes, it's not going to even do anything. So it's, it's this giant symbol and that's all it really is. It's a symbol. It's, it's a very expensive symbol. Expensive symbol (laughs) of Trump giving the middle finger to the Democrats and the Democrats by opposing it, giving the middle finger back to Trump. You know, I'm sure that our listeners all know my biography by heart, but for the few that don't know, I lived in El Paso for seven years. And while I was there, I think it's now down to second or third, but Juarez, Mexico, the basically El Paso's sister city right mm-hmm. across the border in Mexico, yeah. was the statistically most dangerous city in the world. It was more dangerous than Baghdad. It was more dangerous than Damascus. Just you had a higher chance of being killed or, you know, being involved in a crime, what have you, in Juarez, Mexico, not 20 miles away from where I lived. And El Paso is the third safest city in the country. I admit that I, you know, we had family friends who had, they would have cleaners come in who came over from Mexico every day. And like, that's an illegal source of labor. I had friends in school who would come across from Mexico every day. That's illegal. You'd go, there's a piece of road literally called Border Highway. And you could drive along Border Highway on any given day. It It literally runs right, there's the highway and then, you know, 10 feet to the right, there's a tall fence, like that's the border. And any given day, you could just be driving down, like see people running across the highway. They were coming in, coming over from Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one to say that it's it's not a it's not a zero amount of people who are coming into the country illegally. Obviously, people are coming into the country illegally. Obviously, that's a crime. Obviously, we should work to address it. Yes, granted. But if it were the the crisis that it's being made out to be in the media, and especially in in right wing media circles, blogosphere, what have you, El Paso wouldn't be the third safest city in the country. It, it it's extremely porous. Any reason at all is a good reason enough. People come on over from Mexico, and if it, if if it really were rapists and criminals and drug dealers and everything that that the president has said it is. Paso wouldn't be the third safest city in the country. Like that's just a an irrefutable fact. And so, yeah. so to your point, the crisis, as is reported, is simply non-existent. Yeah, and this is kind of talking about Trump in general. But I've said this a number of times, not on the podcast. Obviously, this is episode number one. But I don't hate what Trump's doing. I just he does it in the worst possible way. <laughs> we need border security. There are people coming over. This is a problem. We have millions of people of undocumented immigrants in the country. We need to do something about them, whether that's, I think we'll talk about immigration in another podcast. I don't want to get too deep into that on this one, but. Spoiler alert for the listeners. Spoiler alert. Gotta tune back in. Uh, the, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make though is border security is necessary, but the way Trump's doing it is, is this between the wall and then just demonizing all brown people. Is like the absolute worst way to get popular support for border security. And it seems like that's that's kind of the common thread through everything that Trump has done is good idea, awful execution. I think, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And it, it used to be the case that, you know, Cesar Chavez, there's a Cesar, Cesar Chavez Street right here in Portland, I, which God only knows why. I don't even know that he's ever even been to Portland, but whatever Portland name street after him. But he was one of the most ardent defenders of... Let's stop illegal immigration because the workers that he was representing, it cut into their wages. You know, he, it was a supply of folks who would come here legally and they wanted to be able to work and make good money. And if ever, you know, as you have, it's hard to draw us a, a graph here in the air to, to people listening <laughs> on the radio. But as the supply of labor goes up, the cost of that labor is going to go down. And he wanted to fight to keep the people that he was representing, he wanted to keep their wages up. Mm-hmm. And now here we are in... 2019, the only people who are in favor of, of this, of what the president is doing is 
just old white guys. And it's yeah. people who live places like here in Oregon that are thousands of miles away from the border in Mexico that respectfully to, to all Oregonians don't live and breathe what it's like to be in a border town every day. And it's like, this is an important issue. And certainly it's, it's something that we need to address, but it's just not being addressed in an effective manner. Right. All right. So back to the shutdown, we kind of talked about the, we don't think that it's going to end on the 15th. Do you have any theories on it? Because it's got to end eventually. Eventually, we're going to get to a point where it's it's unsustainable to continue this. What do you, what do you think is going to be the uh, the catalyst? Or I think we you know we we're talking about earlier. It's going to come down to to wall or no wall. And if if there is a wall built, it means that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi caved. If there's not a wall built, it means that Donald Trump caved. And I feel like you have to ask yourself which is the more likely of those two. And you know, obviously, Donald Trump is not known for giving up on things or, you know, what have you. I think he loses this one. Really? I think that this is where the fact that he's never held elective office before, the fact that he's never worked with the Democratic Congress before, the fact that he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't have the relationships on the Hill. He doesn't have the goodwill built up to really engage in any of these kind of like minutiae filled debates or elbow twisting or deal making or what have you. I think that we get to a point where... We do experience another shutdown on the 15th. Maybe this one only lasts a week or two. But at some point in that time, he's going to realize his demand for getting a wall will not be met. And the Democrats, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, will keep the government closed down for as long as it goes. Public opinion is not going to turn in his favor. He's not doing enough, you know, reaching out. to. He tried his little, you know, mini direct to the camera address from the Oval Office there. That didn't work. I think that this ends with him giving up on the idea of the wall as he at least currently is envisioning it. Interesting. You give Trump a bit more credit than, than I do. I, I think just looking at the Republican Facebook groups that I'm a part of, the stuff coming out of the, the right-wing media, I don't think any Republicans care that the government is shut down. I don't think that he, Trump is getting any political pressure from the right to reopen the government. There was some, so I didn't research this as much as I probably should have, but some, some people on the internet were talking about how, and maybe this is reset because of the, the way the government, because of this three-week pause, but they're talking about on March 1st is when the SNAP benefits benefits run out. So I, I think that that might be a catalyst for the Democrats to give in. This is maybe not very politically correct, but lower-income people tend to vote Democrat. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And so as soon as those lower income people start losing some of these SNAP benefits, I think they are going to then turn on the Democrat leadership and that might give put pressure on them to then cave and just build the wall. The other thing is, uh, and this is something that, that my, my friend and mentor, who I won't say on here because I don't know, didn't get his permission. His idea is that there's a clause somewhere in federal regulation that after, if they're being furloughed for 60 days, government workers lose their protected status. And so he's saying if the government stays down down for 60 days, Trump can just start firing people, shutting down whole branches of government of furloughed workers. And that would also put pressure, a lot of pressure on the Democrats to keep the, to then cave and reopen the government. So I, I think Trump, if he has, if he is one thing, the man is stubborn. And I don't think that the fact that government employees have been not getting paid and, you know, the hardship that he's causing to the, to the nation and the lines at TSA. And I don't think he cares. 
I, and I, I will say to kind of add, add on to your point, I've also talked to Republicans that have said, look, this is what we've wanted for years. This is, we've always said the federal government is yeah. too big. There's too many people doing too many things, spending too much money. And, you know, maybe it's not the, the, the litigious way of going about shrinking the government as every Republican between you and I and Abraham Lincoln has all, you know, always said they're going to try to do. But this is a way, like you say, get people off the payrolls, get people, you know, get regulations off people's backs. And to your point, there's a, you know, there's a lot of Republicans who go out and say like, yeah, just shut it on down. Just keep yeah. it closed. You have to wait a little longer at the TSA line. Sucks to be you, man. But like, this is the <laughs> price that we pay. Just shut it down. So I'm, I hope that that is not the, the will that wills out as it were. Respectfully, I hope that you're wrong just because yeah. I, there's a lot of people at 1.8 million people, I think, or have been affected by the shutdown or missing paychecks and some, some unghastly yeah. number like that. But, and I also, uh, was watching CNBC the other day and originally they thought this February 15th date was going to be February 28th. And they also mentioned that March 1st, I think, starts a round of trade talks with China. Mm. And so I will say that if there's one thing that Donald Trump loves to talk about, it is China. And there's somebody did a good YouTube compilation of him saying China. Yeah. Just <laughs> go on YouTube and just see him that. saying China for like four it. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's maddening <laughs> to watch. But it, you, you have to know that having this albatross around his neck going into those negotiations, they're going to walk all over him and he's going to know that. So he's, I'd like to think that if there's maybe not pressure from people on the right saying, no, you need to reopen the government, get people there and back into their jobs, whatever. Maybe there is pressure from the business community, from those who would be affected by those negotiations to say, look, you need to get out there and get ahead of this because if you let the Chinese walk all over you, we're going to end up with some real problems and have some real long-lasting damage with the economy. So maybe maybe that could be another point on my column of Trump caves. <laughs> there is no, you know, we just, we get the government back open again. But we'll see. This is yeah. the 26th. We've got three more weeks or whatever till the 15th. We'll see. Yeah. Honestly, I hope you're right. I already mentioned, I think the wall is a terrible idea. It's a symbol that is, is the wrong symbol, and it's spending a lot of money on something that is not going to be ineffectual. There's a Republican friend of mine who posts on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know if he's done it every day, but the one I saw is, <laughs> he said, day 35 of the government shut down and all's well. <laughs> and that's, that's the attitude of a that's lot of people the on the right. And that's, you know, this is, you know, soapboxy a little bit, but this is what happens when you have a country of whatever, 330 million people is the federal government does a lot, but yeah, like you don't necessarily see it on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's the knee-jerk opposition to more spending projects, the knee-jerk opposition to any tax increases. And I, you know, I'm still a Republican. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. advocating for let's just all, you know, go full 70% taxes, whatever. But it's difficult. There's an element of cognitive dissonance that comes into play when you when you see the money going out of your paycheck, but you don't see the benefits coming in. And there's a whole lot of people, mostly on the right, who are just saying, "Yeah, we've had the 38 day shutdown, and you know, I st- I went to the store and I got my bananas and I filled my car with gas, and I, you know, I'm living my dream. Like this is yeah. there's nothing wrong with this, and that's I think a short sighted view. But I mean. They're not wrong. Like, yeah. there's a lot of times where it's hard to see what those effects really are. You know, what I really feel bad for is the, when you say 1.8 million people who haven't yeah. been getting a paycheck, like that, that's who I feel bad for because these people are not a part of this. They're, they're just trying to do their jobs. They're just trying to go feed their families and they're being used as pawns in this, you know, high stakes game of, of chicken 
And in the meantime, there a lot of them are working for free. I I went to uh, took a vacation to Mexico uh, last weekend for the for the long holiday MLK Day weekend, and went through security and TSA employees are right there, and you know you can't help but just kind of see them and be like, all right, these guys are these guys are doing this basically for free. Air traffic controllers as well. I think those are the biggest things that that you and I would see on a mm-hmm. on a semi regular basis. Well, I just, yesterday morning they had to close down LaGuardia. Let's just say, holy yeah. cow, man! That's a that's a major major impact to a lot of people's businesses, a lot of people's vacations, what have you. But yeah, that's that's definitely that's how I feel. God bless it. Yeah, I I would say so. Being a Republican, I do favor a smaller government. I think that there's validity in saying. Hey, we've gone a month without these services. Maybe, maybe they're not, maybe they're not necessary. Maybe they're not super you know, essential. Maybe yeah. we can, maybe we can afford to cut some stuff. But this is once again the absolute worst way to do that. Um, and the, the the Donald Trump way, just the Donald Trump, the way. right thing and the absolute wrong method. Yeah, God bless him. All right, so we're at about twenty eight minutes. Do we want to keep going or do we want to call it quits? I, I think that's a good answer. I think it's about good. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to call it quits. Go to the website, jamesaball.com for more information. And we're going to try and do these about, what do we decide? Bi-weekly? Every bi-weekly. other week? Bi-weekly, so, semi-weekly. Semi-weekly. Whatever the term was. Yeah. So uh, look for the next episode in about two weeks. And uh, thank you for listening.